Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. And now, part two of our interview with John Wooten. You had a great offensive line there opening holes for Jim Brown. Who was the leader of that line? I mean, you had Groza, yourself. Shafraff. Shafraff. Jimmy Ray Smith, I think, too. Well, Jimmy Ray was with us early on, and then when Dallas came into the league, Jimmy Ray, wanted, he was from Baylor, Texas uh, guy, and he wanted to come back here. So he left us and came back, uh, you know, here. No no question, we had an excellent offensive line. But let me tell you this. Jim Brown made blocking easy. Okay. <laughs> let me just see it to you that way. Jim Brown made blocking easy because all you had to do was to stay on your feet, stay on your feet, and the player designed where he knew your head was supposed to be. If you did that, Jim was going to do the rest. All you had to do was stay on your feet, don't fall down in the hole, and make sure your head was where it's supposed to be. And he was going to take the rest of it. And it didn't hurt that Jim Brown was about as big as the, the defensive lineman and certainly could take on the linebackers and defensive backs with no, not much problem. That, that's, that's exactly right. Jim, Jim, uh, even though he's like right at 228, Jim probably had the strength and, 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 and the girth from that point of a guy about 270, 280 with great explosion and speed. So the good Lord blessed him, you know. Was was he the so, best? Was he the best ever? I've seen them all, and it's no question. He is definitely the best ever. No question. I mean, they're great backs, but when you line them up, no question, he's the best. Not because I played with him, simply because he was the best. You know, this guy was an All-American lacrosse. Basketball, you know, to do it all. Yeah. Good Lord, gifted. He's gifted, no question. And above all, competitive. Competitive. I hope you remind him from time to time that if it wasn't for your blocking, he would have been nothing. I tell him that in my sleep. <laughs> face to face, I say what I just said to you. You made it easy. Because all we had to do was to stay on our feet, you know. He would tell you, don't fall in the hole, you know. You know, <laughs> I, I can't get to the hole if you if you were laying in there and everything. Stay on your feet. That way I'll see where the daylight is going to come at, you know. He had great vision. He had it all. I mean, he, he had it all. The only thing he wasn't good at was acting. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> You know, no, no question. I've seen some of the worst of them, you know, but, but, you know, hey, that's what they want. You know, that's what they do. But no, I, you know, we don't have no Oscar winners here. <laughs> when the Browns got rid of Paul Brown and uh, Blanton Collier became the coach, you became a, a starter. How did Collier differ from Brown as a coach? Glenn Collier was a great teacher. He had 
worked under Paul, of course, as you know, but he was an outstanding teacher. And consequently, he simplified it, what we were doing to the point of, you hear me speak earlier about making sure your head is where it's supposed to be. Lombardi gets the credit for Run the Daylight. Run the day, the Daylight really came from Glenn Carter. If you look at our film, you will see that what Lombardi is talking about, we were already doing it. That is, run the daylight. In other words, defensive people are taught to play your head. If you lay your head on the left, fight through it. What we were taught, lay your head on the left, and when you feel the defensive guy fighting through your head, then just bring that right elbow up and keep him going the way he is fighting to get to. And that's what one the big idea is. So if you go back and look at us in, in 63, 64, 65, in, in 63, Jim, Jim could have easily gained 2,500 yards. Not only talking about 230. Uh, in 63, you gained 867, 863, I think it is. Went right in there. If you go back and look at those tapes, you see Jim coming out in the third, third, fourth quarter. And Kenny Webb, Charlie Scales, and those guys going in the game. Of course, that's the way Jim was. He said, hey, Blaine, let, let, let Charlie, uh, let Kenny finish it out. But if you go back and look at us running that football, you see what Lombardi talks about when he said run the daylight because that's what we were doing. Lombardi got the credit for it because he came with the phrase, but we were doing it in 63 and 64. When okay? I think, yeah. When I think – of the best guard tandem in NFL history, and, and I think of you and Hickerson, is, is, is there somebody that rivals you, you two guys, as being the best guard tandem, do, do you think? Well, the, you, you'd have to give a little credit, and I, I'm, I'm laughing, I'm saying that. Uh, I think that Fuzz, Fuzzy and Thurston and, and Kramer, we feel that we were better simply because we were able to gain the yardage. Jim led the league in, what, eight, nine, uh, eight and seven, eight years as a leading rusher. With our sweep, we, th we thought our sweep was, even Lombardi again gets credit for, we're going to hit it right here and so forth. But when you look at us running, we think that we ran it better than anybody. And the proof is in the pudding. Jim Brown led the league in it for years with that sweep. We think that we could run it better than anybody. And and again, Lombardi gets the, we're going to hit it right through this alley. When I see him doing that, this is what, you know, I mean, he, he's telling his guys what we do. This, this is what we do. 
you know. Been fortunate for us, Hickerson is in the Hall of Fame. We've had the privilege of blocking for three Hall of Fame backs. Jim, Leroy Kelly, Bobby Mitchell. It's not bad. Not too shabby. Was it different blocking for Leroy than it was for Jim? No. Ran it the same way. Ran the same way. You know. Kelly was with us as a rookie in 64. He saw it the way we ran it. When Jim retired after the 65 season, if you look at the records, Kelly led the league in 67, 68, same way. He never stopped running the same way. Was yeah. it tough? Was it tough when you end up getting sent to Washington, knowing that you're going to that town, which was one of the most racist towns in the U.S. Even though Bobby Mitchell had been there a few years playing for George Preston Marshall, we we knew what 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 Washington was about. We knew that George Preston, you know, at that time he had set his mind that he was going to control the South, right? All the mm-hmm. Southern states. I'm talking about TV now. You know, so right. consequently, he was going to play to that market. You know, and, and consequently, uh, when you go in and play, it was South Carolina, South Carolina Day, and all those kind of things. You know, the the, the whole thing is that we knew what Washington was about, and it just inspired us when we heard him play Dixie doing the pregame and all doing the game and everything else. It just motivated us, inspired us, fired us up, whatever you want to call it. We weren't going to let Washington beat us. To let them beat us means that they were better. They were doing what was right over what we stood for. And that was our motivation. You, I hope you understand what I just said to you. Yeah. Totally. Definitely. Okay. On uh, this past Martin Luther King Day, the Fritz Pollard Alliance came out against uh, the use of Redskins as the Washington team's nickname. Generations ago, people, I don't think, gave much of a second thought to that nickname. But over time people have become more aware and enlightened and does it sort of dumbfound you why Washington would hold on to a a name, a nickname like that? Well, let me back up and tell you our involvement in this. A year or so ago, we fought strongly for the elimination of the N-word on the field of play, in the offices, in practice, locker rooms, meeting rooms, and so forth in the NFL. <laughs> because of that, many of the Native American Native American groups, organizations under Oneida came to us for us to support what they were trying to do. And we had our uh, Jeremy Duru, our legal professor, to do all the research 
And we came up with a plan. And that plan was that we would go to Washington, to Richmond, to their training camp and everywhere, and meet with them, Bruce Allen, Dan Snyder, and the organization, and say to them, we have met with the Native American organization on Ida and so forth, and what we're asking you to do is to come meet together. Let's all sit down face-to-face and talk about why this is a word that we should eliminate to the point of changing the name for the Washington Football Club. And we waited, we talked, we sent emails, made phone calls. Uh, Cyrus Mary, our legal counsel, who is headquartered there in D.C., met with them individually, on by the phone, emailed, and so forth, trying to get them to come back. Not come back, but come to the table. The United group simply wanted to sit and talk as to why this mascot name bothered as men and as people. And they finally, Bruce Allen finally said to Harry Carson, our executive director, that they weren't going to meet, they weren't going to change. And we then took the stand that we supported the name change. If we're going to stand for, and many, as you well know, many uh, educational and uh, rock rock stars and everybody else said, oh, they old school. There's nothing wrong with the N-word and so forth. The N-word, by definition, was created to make us, as men of color, to feel inferior. You can't desensitize that word. You can't, you know, our young people that use it are showing a disrespect for every single person who have died, who have marched to for the elimination of that word. That's our position. And that's what? the position that we take on the, the word Redskins. What's Bobby Mitchell's position? He was a longtime executive with the Redskins. Has he made any comments about the name? Well, they said that Bobby, you know, supports the name. I can't say that he does or he doesn't. Because our position as an organization is that the word is a slur by definition, and we're asking them to change it. We respect Dan Snyder. We respect Bruce Allen and Bobby Mitchell and Doug William and all the other guys, and the black and white. But we do not accept the name. We think it should be changed. You know, that we we think that what Seattle does is the look. Look at Seattle. The Seahawks primarily is an Indian logo, Native American logo, and look how they do it. Okay, so 
we think that that's the way it should be done. So if Washington could could keep its logo but change to something like the Warriors or some other? Exactly. Exactly. The Braves. It used to be the Braves when they first moved out of Boston, remember? I don't know if you you don't remember, but you know of it, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, it's... A few years before my time. And, and, and the thing that the thing that we got to remember is this: that the man who did all this was one of the world's worst masons. Understand this man. Understand that his granddaughter has come out and said her grandfather should have changed. This is what we say to wanted to say if we ever got in a meeting together to Dan Snyder. What are your children and your grandchildren going to say 20, 30 years from now? I wish, Granddad, I wish Dad had changed the name. You see what I mean? No. All of this is part of what we were intending to do if they had come to the table. If they come to the table, this is what we would have done. This is what we would have presented to them. You know, nobody's trying to override you or make you, you know. What we're trying to do is to bring what is simple to respect of people. You know, respect of people. Okay? Yeah. But but Dan Snyder's of the opinion it's my franchise and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And all we can do is stand for what we think is right. Right. You know, we we can't. We certainly don't have any vote to make him change it or anything else. Yeah. But we are never going to stand for anything that is against the dignity and the respect of people. And the Native Americans certainly are wanting. They have met to this country and where they parts of what the history of this country, they certainly are deserving of that respect. You know, now, he says, well, there, there, there are many Native Americans who don't have trouble with this. Think about it. How many people did you hear say to us, oh, the N-word doesn't mean what it used to mean and so forth. Yeah. You know, We've had uh, some of our top educators say that. The word has been desensitized. We've had the rock and roll, or uh, what they call the hip-hop groups, yeah. that the word doesn't mean the same. My statement is very simple. How can it not mean the same when the word itself was created to make men and women that look like me feel that they were inferior. Yeah. That's what we Yeah, it, as you were saying, when does a slur not become a slur? When your generation dies off, when my generation dies off, uh, there's an ins- a lack of sensitivity to understand the roots of those slurs. And uh, they won't change. They won't. If we as a people do not stand strong, and make our people and our young people understand. And that's why it is so important that our, our young people, black and white, see and understand what 
respectability meaning and what it is for and the dignity of all people. If you just see children playing out in the street, out in the playgrounds, you won't hear those kind of words. They have to be taught this. Somebody has to, you know, and, and that is why it is so important that all of our youngsters, black and white, Asian, Hispanic, everyone, understand what it means to respect each other as people. It is just that basic. It is just that basic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, none, none of us is born with hate in our heart. Yeah, no. That's just that's not the way children come into the world. That's they have to be taught that they have to see that example. I mean, hopefully they don't see that example. But uh, no, no, you're right there. You're absolutely right. And if this is what we preach every single day, you know. Okay. Now you say when you were a player, you, you couldn't march, but it, it seems your generation. Uh, you, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, others took activist roles at some point in their lives. And you seem to have done so more than a lot of athletes that have followed since. You sort of paved the way for athletes to uh, make more money, have more comfortable lives, things like that. And I'm not sure they all have an appreciation for, for what you and uh, Jim Brown and others went through. Or if, if they, if they, if the athletes of today just take it upon themselves to be a part of the community in which they live, you know, be a part of the community, go to school board meetings, and you get a chance, go and help others that are less fortunate than you and. And many other players do that. But we need for them to overly, you know, exert yourself. Make it back to the community. Pay it forward. Do whatever you want. Right. But be a part of making that community a better place. Use the platform that you have as professional athletes to show our youngsters how important, when I said that, I'm talking all colors now, to show them how important respectability is and respecting each other. Show them how important education is. That education is the primary way of making life better for everybody and make it better for your own family. I was able to do things simply because I had an education. That education gave me uh, the ability to go and do other things. And therefore, you can give back. You can give back to your community. You can do more for your family. That's why education is so important. Was the transition... Okay. All right. was the transition to the front office, when you went from player to being in the front office with the Eagles and the Ravens and the Cowboys, what sort of process was that for you? 
that process primarily came with after playing there in Cleveland, Jack Tram calling me and asking me would I come visit two or three days, see if we liked each other. And I said, I'm not interested in coaching Mr. Tram at all, period. He said, no, I'm talking for an office. And I said, well, I'm not sure I know anything. He said, we'll train you. Just come down and spend two or three days with us, see how we like each other. That transition, again, because of education, you, you know, that a trained mind can learn anything. That's why education is so important. Because if you are educated, you have a trained mind, you can learn. There's not anything you can't learn. And that's why, not that I'm a five-day Kaplan, by any stretch, I'm just dealing with that particular fact. But the point is education, opportunity. That's how it all works. It all evolves. Education, opportunity, preparation, looking ahead, vision, working with others, respecting all people, all the time. That's, that's what life is. Definitely. That's what it is. During your playing okay. days, during your, I'll ask one more question. During your playing days, who was the toughest uh, defensive lineman you went up against? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I had them all. I know. Big Daddy, Big Daddy Lipscomb. Yeah. Bob Lilly. You get you okay? Uh, those. I won't argue those. with either one of those guys. Put put those guys right there. Bob Lilly, Big Daddy Lipscomb. Yeah. All and the thing about it is, both of them had outstanding quickness. Outstanding quickness, you know that. That's what makes it difficult to, to block a guy, right? Yeah. You know. But you have pretty good quickness. There's, you know, stories of you blocking have, more than one guy on a play, blocking a couple well, of guys. Exactly because of our system, you know. So consequently, you know, that's what you have to use. But when you got someone as quick as Lily, and if you're watching. In that frog stance, he, you know, I mean, he could get his hands on you, so you had to get back a little bit away from him. Yeah. You know, and of course, now I've got to make sure my center doesn't put the ball right up under his butt. Get that ball out of there. Because that's the line of scrimmage, right? Yes, sir. Whether we can put the ball out. So these are the kind of things. But when I look at Lily, uh, Bob Lily, and Big Daddy, and that, that, that's, that's, that's you, you don't get too much sleep the night before. <laughs> that does it for another edition of Sports and Torts. I'd like to thank our guest, John Wooten, and our executive producer, Dave Olson. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as David and I did. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Mm-hmm.